Hey folks, welcome back to The Well with Shan, and this is going to be the comprehensive podcast on codependency, a relational addiction, that is going to compile all the mini mots and more together to give us a, a, a more overlook of the, of the big picture. Now, this podcast is by special request, and uh, the individual uh, or uh, stated situation that I am actually speaking to today is not necessarily the folks who just have a posture toward codependency, but people who are really entrenched in a cycle that is very difficult to break. Um, it's it's the the flaring codependent, if you will, and. Um, I think the folks who struggle with this for years and it's been evidenced by broken relationship after broken relationship will understand that this is a very difficult dynamic and addictive type of process that's very hard to break free of. So welcome and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, the codependency originally was discovered, if you will, in the 1970s, and it came out of the addiction model. And the idea was that addicts had their um, their dependency on substances or drugs, and that the person who loved them or the person who was often in relationship with them also had a look about them. And the look was often enabling, it was often focused on the addict, and there's a lot of discussion about which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Um, so it does, does being in relationship with an addict create this kind of person, or vice versa? Are there circumstances involved in the enabler's life that was, was already present that caused them to be attracted to the addict. And of course, there's a little bit of both, but what we did come from for the 70s is recognizing um, that codependency is often characteristic of the person who's in relationship with an addict. Now, that's not always true, and please understand that everything we're going to be talking about here has nuance and has um, non-stereotype typical kinds of behaviors. So we're not trying to create a one fits all, but there are patterns here that can be helpful to look at. Now, because these terms did come out of the alcoholic um, paradigm, there is a lot of help to be had through Al-Anon. Um, and in my opinion, Al-Anon is just kind of another word for codependency anonymous. Um, and even though it may not be overtly Christian, there is a lot of language and a lot of concepts that are Christian that come from Al-Anon. And there's some common grace that could be um, gleaned from the 12-step process. So I actually do highly recommend it. There are Christian spinoffs from it, but if you want to get into a really um, daily, devoted, sponsored type of help, 
um, those things are out there and are available. And uh, The Courage to Change um, is one of the books that comes from Al-Anon, and it's just wonderful. I, I read it myself. Uh, it's a, a short little uh, page daily for your reading and can be great help just to kind of bring you back to a centered, more um, aware understanding of, of some of the dynamics that codependents can fall into. Now, a brief overview of what we've done in the many months is what is codependence? Well, there's a look um, or, or a, um, a type of uh, way that this shows up. Now, all of these won't apply to everyone, but again, we're talking about the big picture. And um, the codependent is often somebody who has had some kind of childhood wounding. This is not always true, although we certainly have all experienced some kind of brokenness. Um, because our parents are sinners and uh, they sin against us and we're sinners and the way we interpret life um, also has come to play here. And then even our biology and even our uh, personality proclivities are broken. So we know that that sin and the fall impacts all of this, both personally and relationally. Um, But oftentimes there is a deep wounding for the codependent and you might find that that's actually growing up in an alcoholic or addict family or perhaps there was mental health issues in the family or maybe somebody in the family had experienced some kind of trauma which impeded them from, from parenting well. There can be a myriad of issues there. But for whatever reason, this person has experienced a good bit of wounding. And so those childhood wounds manifest in a a sense of low value. They can often um, value other people's opinions more than their own. There can also be an incredible sense of denial, repressed emotion, a repressed history, Um, a lack of acknowledgement that they personally have brokenness, and maybe the whole family system is in denial. Um, This person can, as we've talked about, need to be needed, but underneath all of that, there's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of not being seen. There can be a people-pleasing tendency because um, maybe the child has walked on eggshells, in a family system where a parent was prone to outburst or um, rage or rejection and moving away from the child. There can be a tendency toward low assertiveness, um, the inability to identify your own opinions and preferences, low confidence, a low ability to ask for help. And there can be a tendency to think that others are the cause of our emotions or that others are responsible for our emotions or vice versa, that we are responsible to take care of another person's emotions. Um, This is particularly um, true when a parent triangulates 
the child into becoming a co-parent with whatever's happening in the family dynamic. Um, so therefore the child becomes overly responsible and, uh, somewhat obsessive. Um, am I doing this right? Am I doing this well? Am I taking care of you? Am I fulfilling my job? Um, and when they are having a sense of fulfilling that job, that can be some of where the relational heroin high comes from, um, because this becomes a great source of a value, a great source of feeling seen and feeling affirmed. Um, sometimes when we get around other nurturing people who have a similar relational proclivity that we do, we can feel that heroin high because it's meeting some of those emotional needs, being seen, being heard in ways that we didn't feel as a child. Um, and therefore we can feast off the attention of the other person and during the early days months or years of the relationship that can feel incredibly life-giving um, but unfortunately with time that feeling wears off into an exhausting toxic kind of relationship caretaking is another look of this it feels safe when I'm giving. It does not feel safe when I'm being vulnerable or, um, or when I'm asking for my needs to be met because that wasn't the way things worked uh, in the family system. Now again, this can be a personality proclivity. It's not always a deep childhood wounding. But for the most part, folks who are codependent feel safe when they're doing the giving and not so safe when they're asking for anything. And so it's very difficult for them to show up. It's very difficult for us to um, be reciprocal or mutual in relationships. We feel most comfortable when we're the kind of the ones um, giving. And giving also has a sense of control and feeling like we're in charge. Now, this is very driven by shame and guilt because, as I mentioned, there's, there's a low self-esteem here already and there's already a, a tendency to feel like it's not okay for me to show up, so I need to stay hidden or I need to stay in this kind of shame posture because there's some deep brokenness here. and. The profile for this kind of person can, can show up in many, many different ways. Um, uh, and we, we won't talk about all of those specifically, but we will say that uh, some of this look in a codependent relationship can be spending a lot of time together, too much time together. There can be an unhealthy loyalty and an unhealthy dependency an unhealthy sense of responsibility. There can be jealousy of each other's times. There could be uh, poor boundaries, physical, emotional, spiritual, social, sexual, and an inability to think outside of the context of the other person. Um, again, that kind of obsessive relational high dynamic. There can be excessive neediness from both parties 
and very high expectations of what the other should be able to do for them or what we should be able to do for that person. So that gives you some indication of of what this might look like. Um, As we consider this, I've spoken already that Christian circles can be really ripe for this kind of relationship because if we don't understand the nuances of scripture, then we can misinterpret that an unending, unconditional giving is actually what love is, an unconditional love, and that's just simply not true. The scripture teaches us to speak the truth in love, to hold others accountable, to let others bear each other's burdens, and when you really pick this apart scripturally, you start to understand that a theology of love and truth, a theology of healthy relationships, is actually a very far cry from the codependent relationship. So, as we piece together this whole picture, um, and as we recognize that it can manifest in a myriad of different ways, folks may ask, all right then, where do we find healing? How do we pursue healing? What does the recovery process look like? And I will tell you, that this is truly an addiction. I personally got introduced to these ideas 30 plus years ago and have been working on it for three plus decades. And for the most part have lived free, but with certainly setbacks and certain um, relationships that are, are trickier than others. And because of the addictive nature of it, it's very, very easy to fall back into. So the first step of healing, of course, is awareness. We can't bring to the Lord, nor can we bring to others, nor can we bring to ourselves something that we do not see. And so the first step is being able to name this, being able to see it, being able to have some of this sleepy denial, this willing or unwilling, conscious or unconscious, sinking our, our um, heads into the sand. And because awareness is so important, it's important to keep putting ourselves in situations where we keep the truth in front of us. And that's why support groups, reading material and counseling is so important because it is so easy to deceive ourselves and to move back into this posture. Now, awareness is a first step and working through denial is part of that step, learning to call it what it is. And this is a tricky part of any healing process. It's that part of naming our wounds and having self-compassion that there are places where we are really hurt and that the wounding has showed up in ways for us that has been very damaging. But then also taking personal responsibility and understanding that staying in a victim mentality will not get us where we want to go. 
we have to bring our hurts before the Lord. We have to actively participate and seek in the healing process. We have to actively submit ourselves to others' counsel and advice and help. And we have to be accountable and engage in our own healing to pursue God and our own recovery. Part of this process is also then repentance. Because while we want to do things like EMDR and um, meditating in the scripture and understanding a plumb line, uh, uh, both of who God is, who we are, allowing um, that healing to come into these places of, of childhood wounds, or even adult wounds, if, if you're married to an addict, or if you're in a bad um, relationship that has also been um, very damaging. But we also have to engage our own brokenness through dependency on Christ. And this is part of that repentant process, is that it's not just everybody else's fault. It's not just what everybody else has done to me, but it's what I have participated in, awaringly or not being aware, and flinging ourselves in dependency and need of the gospel. That the gospel is not just something that I needed at salvation, and it's not just something that everybody else out there needs, but I have to preach the truth to myself every day if I'm going to stay in this place of pursuing true north. And so repentance is a, is a huge part of recovery, as well as is growing in my understanding of being an image bearer, that because Christ died for me and how the gospel applies to me means I have value. I have dignity. My opinions and my preferences do matter. Now, they don't matter more than somebody else's, but neither do they matter less than. And unfortunately, the codependent often sees themselves as a less than person. And so it's so incredibly important to grow in understanding the favor of God, the smile of God, allowing that picture of a loving father come into those father wounds, allowing that picture of a gentle nursing mother, as Isaiah says God is, come into those mother wounds, allowing the beauty of um, value replacing condemnation, uh, allowing a smile to replace that shaking finger of how deeply we feel condemned and how much shame we feel. And as we understand that we're delighted in, regardless of our production, regardless of our um, ability to perform, um, regardless of our ability to make impact on other people, then we start to understand that difference between doing and being that it's okay to just sit in the goodness of being loved and valued as an image bearer of Christ. And then I've talked a good bit about the ability to own one's thoughts and feelings and opinions and then been able to express those to other people. 
And this can sometimes take years, and I do mean years, to continue to work on for the codependent because people-pleasing is so deeply ingrained. And there's such an incredible fear of rejection that if I show up and I tell somebody my thoughts, even on a minute level, you know, I'm cold, can you get me a blanket? Um, a lot of folks have hard time doing this, and it has to be practiced in safe relationships. The difficulty is it's almost impossible to learn this skill in the context of a toxic relationship, and that makes it so, so incredibly difficult. And so a very important piece of this is learning to um, develop those assertiveness skills that it's okay even if I hurt somebody's feelings, to express a line where I don't want to be continue to be harmed by negative talk or or abusive talk or demeaning talk. And I'm going to set the line to take care of myself in those ways. Now, I'm not talking about becoming the bully. I'm not talking about becoming the person who then becomes... um, someone who has a negative impact on others by demanding our own way and um, that is one of the beauties of counseling is is to hear those dynamics and having somebody kind of helping us see ourselves Um, because if we've if we've come with a wrong diagnosis then we get a wrong result right if you come into counseling as a narcissist, but you actually think you're a codependent and then you absorb these concepts, you actually go out becoming more of a bully. And so it's so important to, to see ourselves accurately. I do encourage a broader support system, friendship, mother figures, father figures, mentees within the body of Christ, because it's within that context that we are held accountable that people hold up mirrors in a sense that help us see each other. I used to have a pastor that said, you know, if you had broccoli for lunch and you went around all day with a little piece of broccoli in your teeth, don't you want somebody telling you that? Or do you want to come to the end of the day and smile in the mirror and see that and realize you've smiled all day, you've laughed all day, and you've displayed your broccoli and nobody told you? It is so important to have a growth model and a mindset that it's okay for people to show me who I am. If I trust them, if they're safe, and they're doing it for the loving good of my growth. Now, this is also where the context of boundaries happen. Boundaries first for ourselves, and knowing who we are, knowing how to show up, knowing how to express ourselves, knowing how to ask for what we want. But then also boundaries with other people that help us really um, set lines with other people. The first thing we need to do is stop spiritualizing that. Stop bypassing through Christianese. And we often say, well, I just want to love this person like Jesus loves. Or I, I just... I just want to be the wife that God wants me to be. Or I, I just know what's really happening there 
is that we're spiritualizing in the name of Christianity when God has showed us over and over and over again in Scripture, if your brother does something against you, go rebuke your brother and try to make it right. And we just unfortunately have interpreted this in our Southern and Christian culture to mean that love is always nice, that love is always so gentle that it would never hurt or offend the other person. And unfortunately, that's just simply not true. And we have to grow that muscle, brothers and sisters. We have to grow the muscle that learns to speak truth into another situation in kind, loving, I am here for you kind of ways but no less still true. And then we need to drink in and fill up on Jesus. We need to refuse to let other people take his place. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his loving kindness is better than life. We need to fill up there instead of filling up on people who, even on their best day, still let us down. It's okay to and even necessary to make God supreme and every other attachment in this world seems small compared to our attachment in Him. We can go slower with our relationships. If we're filling up on Christ, other relationships can be less intense. They can be less needy. They can be less sexual. They can be uh, not sharing every secret. They can be not all day consuming. They can lose some of that needy attachment and move into this proper place in our life because Jesus is where he should be. Now, I will say that although there are times in my life where Jesus is supreme, I fall off that wagon all the time, and so do all of you. I often tell people, you know, maturity in Christ is not that you're going to stop falling off the wagon less. That is not what maturity in Christ looks like. You'll always be a sinner. You'll always be broken, and that's okay. One of my favorite passages is in Psalm 103, where Jesus says he removes our sin as far as the east is to the west, and he remembers we are dust. Oh, what a beautiful passage, and that just ministers to my heart so deeply. I might be surprised by falling off the wagon, but he's not. He's not surprised or shocked at all. In fact, that's the reason he came. So go slower with our relationships. Less intensity. Nobody has to know everything. Nobody has to be connected to daily so deeply that we are finding our drink of life through that relationship. Allow other people to be responsible for their lives. If they do something to cross the line, let them have that consequence. If, if another person experiences consequences and fails, let them experience that. 
Don't feel the need to rescue or rush in or to make it okay. It's all right to let things sit in this awkward place of consequence. When someone hurts your feelings or they lash out again, it's okay for things to be awkward between the two of you for a time and to say, that really hurt me. Be intentional about mutual and reciprocal relationships. People who can own their responsibility, people who can hold their part of the work. Now granted, there are always times with disability, and disability is not always physical, it can be mental, it can be emotional. There are people who've experienced a lot of trauma, who have uh, a lot of brokenness, And this is where things get very gray. How much responsibility do you expect from another person to make a mutual relationship? But even in understanding the nuance of all of that, it's very different to be in a relationship that is um, ministerial, but thinking that you're best friends. Or it's very different to be in a relationship that feels... um, I'm, I'm here for you than being in a marriage where it's very clearly not reciprocal, not mutual. Now, the danger zones, of course, of codependency is that it can become abusive. It can become toxically sexualized. The acute brokenness can lead to depression, anxiety, decompensation, addiction, repeated patterns, and even recanting the faith. These things can get very, very difficult. I want to recommend resources above and beyond Al-Anon and the Christian 12 Steps, and those center around... um, a couple of codependency resources that I, I think could be really helpful. Uh, one of my favorites from years ago that's no longer in print is by Nancy Groom from Bondage to Bonding. Excellent book. Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud is one that you've heard me speak of a lot. And just understanding the basic concepts of boundaries, very, very important. Bold Love. Talk about speaking the truth in love. Talk about being innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. That book from Nan Allender about bold love can really give you some perspective on how to love others well in a very shrewd kind of way. Codependency No More, not a Christian book, but certainly Common Grace Understanding in that book by Melody Beattie. Um, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch, great book on people-pleasing and just seeing how much people-pleasing is at stake when um, we often aren't willing to rebuke or uh, love, truly love with good motives, um, our brothers and sisters. The Emotionally Destructive Relationship by Leslie Burnick, I think, is a great book. And there's another one like it, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. Um, I think she has great godly insights there that I would recommend. 
Um, June Hunt also did a book called Codependency, Balancing an Unbalanced Relationship. Again, just a, a good broad perspective from a, a, a Christian perspective. Untangling Relationships by Pat Sprinkle. And um, Please Don't Say You Need Me by Jan Sylvia's. There are other books, many, too many to name as resources, but um, all of these could be very helpful in your journey. Lastly, I do just want to say this is a hard pattern to break out of. It's probably one that we'll struggle with most of our lives, but healing on this earth, we don't have to wait till heaven. Healing can come in some measure here and now. Jesus has come to bring his kingdom and his kingdom doesn't begin when we die. It begins right here, right now on this earth as we submit ourselves to Christ. So I do just want to give you hope and encouragement to be courageous, to pursue, pursue healing and to let the spirit of God set us free from this addictive bondage making pattern so that we can truly love God, others, and ourselves really well. Thank you, and come back to The Well with Shan.